The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Who said that? <laughs> uh, almost enough to think he's a real person, isn't it? The movie was Wall Street in the 80s. Uh, Michael Douglas was the actor. And yes, that was the trader, Gordon Gecko. He's not the only one to have said that greed is good. A British philosopher from the 18th century named David Hume said, greed is the spur of in industry. Without some element of greed, would not the economy and all human progress grind to a halt? Is greed good? Is greed bad? Is greed a deadly sin? Those are the issues that, we, that we're going to look at uh, this morning. And I think in our society we are, we are continually being told that greed is not bad, that a little bit of greed is a good thing. But I want to say don't mix up greed and ambition. A healthy ambition can achieve great things, but greed just consumes. It doesn't produce, it consumes. And in particular, it consumes the people who are wrapped up in greed. Because greed is never satisfied. Greed is always hungry for more. Greed is, is the thinking when you never have enough. You never have enough. The person who gives in to greed then uh, is a sad individual. A um, bit like Scrooge from um, Lewis Carroll's story of Christmas. Another comment on greed comes um, from a British theologian and I've been reading his book on the seven deadly sins. His name is Graham Tomlin and he makes this fairly broad statement. See what you make of this. He said, greed left unchecked will destroy our planet. An economy that is driven by consumption and the promise of ever-increasing prosperity will inevitably lead to depletion of the Earth's resources until life as we know it is not longer, no longer sustainable. And he, he says the, the planet which is our home is uh, threatening to become our grave. So what is greed? How do we actually define greed? There are so many you know, different ways of describing greed, but I think this, this one was helpful for me. Greed is the insatiable desire to have more and more with total disregard to other people. The insatiable desire to have more and more with total disregard for others. The person who has given in to greed is never really happy because nothing is ever enough. You get offered a 10% increase at work 
and you complain that it was not 20%. If you were offered 20% up front instead of 10, you would have complained that it wasn't 30%. It is never enough. It is never enough. Greed goes on and on. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and I want to use some of his words uh, as, as we consider this subject this morning. In First uh, Timothy chapter 6, if you've got a Bible there, you might like to look at that because I'm going to use a few verses from chapter 6 of First Timothy. But he says in verse 6, Godliness with contentment is of great gain. And I think, uh, in a nutshell, that is the opposite or the answer to greed. Godliness with contentment. How do we get to that point, though? What is, what is, the, what is expected of us as Christians? I want to say a, a couple of things that, that greed does not point us to. And the first one is to the enjoyment of things in our world. God has made us as sensual people and he's made us to enjoy this world that we live in. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying a succulent uh, rare steak at the Manly Bowling Club on a Friday night. (laughs) Two for one, that's right. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a nice glass of red wine. There's nothing wrong with appreciating a beautiful piece of jewellery or a beautiful artwork. There is nothing wrong with uh, enjoying the beauty of, of the world around us, of actually being a, being a part of our world in that way. Because God has made us as creatures and he's made all these good things in this world for us to enjoy. There is nothing wrong with all, enjoying all of these things but we must not miss out on the one good thing behind, behind this. So if we, are, if we enjoy the things that God has made we see that primarily our joy is in God himself and we are made for a relationship with our creator to enjoy these good things. So the material enjoyments of this world should point us to God. Not inwards on ourselves, but outwards towards God to find our greatest satisfaction in the one who has created these wonders, who has given us richly all these things to enjoy. So greed is the opposite to that because what greed does is that it tries to satisfy the, uh, the restless soul with things that were never meant to satisfy. So the world is, uh, is designed to point us to God to find our satisfaction but greed presents us with alternate gods. That's why greed is a deadly sin. It was greed that we, that we heard of in Ananias and Sapphira that caused them to lie even to God himself. Peter said they lied to the Holy Spirit. Greed presents us with an alternative God because greed uh, invades and it overcomes and it completely 
uh, changes our thinking and our behaviour. Because greed, being always hopeful in finding satisfaction, always leads us with a sense of dissatisfaction. We need more. (coughs) We need more. We're always looking for more because greed produces that longing within us. We need another God substitute. And whatever um, your greed, uh, it will soon become your source of discontent. The thing that you want and so enjoy will become your source of discontent because it does not satisfy and you cannot have enough. (coughs) And the greatest uh, God substitute that the scriptures identify that causes us grief is money. Money. You, You can never have enough money if you are a person who is consumed by the love of money, by greed in that area. You can never have enough money. Um, You've all heard of J.D. Rockefeller, the first uh, business tycoon to become a billionaire, the first American billionaire in the 1930s. When he died, um, the calculations from today, projecting backwards, uh, it's it's claimed that Rockefeller is the richest person in the history of the world. If he's, you know riches were translated into our values today. He was asked, how much money is enough for you? Do you remember his answer? Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. But he also said, if your goal is to become rich, you will never achieve it. From the richest man in the history of the world, if your goal is to become rich you will never achieve it. The Bible calls this love of money, this, this greed, uh, a snare or a trap. And once it has a hold of you, it plunges you into ruin and destruction. Again, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, Timothy uh, is warned, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people who are eager for money, those who love money, who are greedy for more and more, it can even rob you of your Christian faith and then you'll um, be pierced with many griefs. You will not achieve what you want. And it doesn't matter how much you have, greed can capture anybody. You can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and not greedy. So it's not about how much you have but what you don't have. Greed is distinguished by thinking about what you don't have and wanting and wanting and wanting. Um, So how do we overcome greed? Some uh, church fathers have said well what you need to do is divest yourself of all earthly possessions, take a vow of poverty and go and live in a in a monastery or somewhere like that. Is that actually going to save you from greed? No, poverty is not the answer. Poverty is not a virtue. What uh, the virtue is, is generosity. Generosity, which is a change of, of heart 
that comes from uh, a change of your actions. We escape the clutches of greed by giving stuff away. We escape the clutches of greed by changing our attitude towards things so that we are released to be generous people. And there are three truths that help us <coughs> to cultivate generosity. Again, they come from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, and I'll just quickly share those with you. The first step that you can take um, to cultivate generosity is to understand that everything that we have comes from God's hand. Everything that we have is a gift from God. So again, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So you're not necessarily greedy if you're rich, but there is a temptation there to trust in your riches rather than to trust in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't you love that phrase? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And how much has he provided us in our, in our context here, in our situation? Everything that you enjoy, that I enjoy each day, is a pure gift, a gift from a loving and caring father because he is generous. The world actually runs not, not on greed but on God's generosity. There would be no sun shining without the generosity of God who, who makes the sun shine and the rain fall on the unjust as well as the just. It's the generosity of God that actually uh, keeps our world working and we need to realize that everything we have comes from God's hand do you think that in your own efforts you've got your qualification you went to university or TAFE or whatever it is you worked hard you advanced in your in your job you get paid a certain amount of money do you think this is all about you and all about the opportunities that you've taken Think again. Everything is a gift of God. The very fact that you're able to live that life which so many people in our world could never live. The fact that we can live that life is a gift from God. The fact that we sit here this morning you know, able to enjoy the comfort of this building, able to enjoy friendship and fellowship with one another in relative safety, looking forward to going home and having lunch. All those things are gifts from God because every good thing comes from God's hands. And uh, as we truly discover that God is the giving God and that he continues to be generous to me and to you, then we will start to find it easier to reflect his generosity to other people. So the first thing that we do to cultivate generosity is to work into our psyche that everything that we have comes from God. Which leads to the second point, which means that what we have 
is loaned, not owned. Loaned, not owned. Paul goes on writing to Timothy, um, talking about the rich not um, relying on the uncertainties of riches. He says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous to the needy and to share. To do good, to be generous to the needy and ready to share. The, the second kind of radical s stage, I suppose, of generosity is to change our thinking in terms of possessions. Paul said to Timothy just a few verses earlier, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. And we know that. We've heard that so many times. Then why do we play the game that who dies with the most toys wins? Isn't that ridiculous? We know that you can take nothing out of this world. If we see that everything we have is on loan from God and that we don't claim this ownership, then we will be released to be generous. If you don't really own stuff, then what are you supposed to do with the stuff you have? What are you supposed to do with it? Well, the Bible says we're supposed to use these things according to the purpose of their true owner. What did, what did Paul say to Timothy? Tell the rich people to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. It's great to have a mate, isn't it, who you can ring up and borrow their whippersnipper and um, have them say, fine. Not have them say, oh, well, let me hover over it to make sure that you turn this on right and that and you don't make a mistake and, you know, you bring it back nice and clean and all this kind of thing. Just being generous with the things we have. What does God expect us to do with his stuff? He expects us to use it for his glory and to promote his kingdom. How do you use your house to bless other people? To build community. I know there are many people in this church who use their houses for that, who invite uh, over the years, have had young people meeting in their house with their groups, having other opportunities to use their house, um, men's sheds, football nights, all sorts of other things, opportunities to use the, the houses that we have in order to build community, in order to bring people closer to God. Offering hospitality, being generous. How can you be generous with, you, with your money? How can you use your money to extend God's kingdom? There are so many ways, aren't there? There's, there's more ways than we could ever imagine. But let me just suggest that <clears throat> the first thing we do is we look at home base, we look at our church. And, and this is a generous church. Um, the buildings here testify to that. We, we support our home base and it was terrific on Friday night to see over 60 young people here. There was a blow-up bouncy castle right where you're sitting and there were 60 kids plus another 20 or more leaders from four different youth groups who were using this place and it was just terrific to see. We can do the same... Um, with so many things. But I, I would like to put a challenge to you. I think that every Christian family 
should have a third world sponsor child. $48 a month. Not just so that we can help, uh, well, we're helping the poor, but we're doing this strategically to grow God's kingdom. Those who have been here when we've have, had the Toto Choir come and sing and heard about the aspirations of the, the, the uh, kids, the young orphans who have been taken in, those who have heard about the India Inland Mission and the thousands of kids who've gone through the orphanage there who are now Christian leaders in business and government and law in India. Those who've been here when we've had Compassion Visit and tell us about the Compassion Children and how they've... I was at a lunch a couple of... a week ago where there were people who had been Compassion Child Sponsors who were now themselves um, sponsoring other children through compassion. They'd become uh, educated, but they'd become Christian and they wanted to feed back in. So not just about nutritious food and good education, but about the kingdom of God. A simple and uh, easy way that we can be involved and praying for those children. So when we understand that everything comes from God's hand and we don't own anything then we are released to be more generous with what we have because it's great fun giving away other people's stuff isn't it it is and then thirdly we learn um, that the third way to break through greed is to uh, realize that things are to be used not hoarded and that is uh, such an important lesson for us in the Western world today where people hoard up things. Even food. You know, the, the fridge gets so full of stuff that we've hoarded it all up and then half of it gets chucked out because we haven't got a chance to eat it. Stuff is meant to be used, not hoarded. Um, in 1 Timothy 6.19, Paul writes to Timothy, let them do these things so they may store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you are a hoarder, you are missing out on that which is truly life. If you're a generous giver, you are storing up treasures for yourself in heaven, a firm foundation for the future. We need to change our thinking about our storehouse. In Jesus' day, we know the story of the man who built bigger barns because he got a bumper crop. And uh, the criticism of him was that he had stored it all up and, and had hoarded it and, it was, and his life was, was called in and that was the end of it. No chance to use any of it. In Jesus' day, you kept your wealth where you could see it. You bought a couple of extra sheep, maybe um, ploughed another field, stored things in your barns. But what has changed? Where do we hoard up stuff? Right where we can see it, our house. Our house is our main asset and we hoard up stuff in our house, all the things that are valuable to us. And every couple of years we have to increase the insurance premium because we've got more stuff. And it goes, it goes on and on. But we 
we keep an eye on the real estate market so we know what, what it's worth and we're just, you know, it's, it's our nest egg. You can also hoard up stuff in, in investments and superannuation. It's great, isn't it, how superannuation can kind of suck your money in so that you can't actually do anything with it. You're waiting for that magical day when you turn 65. Imagine what good you might have been able to do if you had released it. Um, you know, we're, we are, we're all hoarders in that sense. <coughs> so, um, storing up treasures for eternity means investing our resources in God's future fund. And again, that means generously using your resources to invest in people, uh, community, God's kingdom, the things that God uh, has planned and ha has purposed for us. So generously giving to people and ministries where we see the work of God rather than hoarding is uh, the, th the third pathway that we learn to generosity. And if we've learned that, we can truly say, not just give lip service to, but we can truly say, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you experienced that? You have, haven't you? Because you've given generously uh, in, in various fields. We give generously to our children and to our family. Are we prepared to give generously to the work of God and to, to grab onto what, what um, Paul describes as that which is really life, which comes through generosity. So greed is a deadly temptation and each of us needs to be conscious of that and actively work against it. We overcome greed with the contentment of generosity Generosity means uh, not that we'll miss out but that we will actually gain a blessing in this world and in the world to come as we see that everything is a gift of God, nothing is our own, so we can give generously. We can re-gift. That's another way. We love to do that, don't we? <laughs> we can re-gift what God has given to us to build his eternal kingdom. So let's put greed to death. Let's be generous in spirit. And let's be determined to give to see God's kingdom come. Let's pray.